morning, church. Good morning, church. There we go. That way, boys. That's how you do it. That's how you teach these adults how to act in church. Let's uh, open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Now that you're awoken, uh, let us look at God's Word together. Let me read, and then we will uh, consider these words together and apply them to our life. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the, na- all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. Let's bow and pray and ask for God's help this morning as we consider his word for us. Father God, we humbly bow, trusting that you as God of this word, uh, would show your might and your power um, in and through your spirit this morning. That you would give faith to those who have yet to believe uh, the faith of Abraham and the sovereign God of all creation. And that you would give Um, those of us who have believed the strength of the Spirit to walk by faith. Father, that's our hope. Faith and living by faith when we leave this place based on your promises. And so God, would you do what only you can do? Grant those gifts. Take our setting aside time from our busy week this morning on Sunday. Take uh, our attentive ears and hopefully softened hearts. Take my words and do a miracle of salvation. Do a miracle of sanctification in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have you ever made a promise you didn't keep or uh, a promise you couldn't keep? Uh, If all that I promised as a child uh, I was held to, I would be billions and billions of dollars in debt. I promised my friends I would give them so much money if they would just do this or if I could or couldn't do this or this, that, or the other. And as a kid, I didn't realize the weight of my words. And really and truly, I I mean, I would have owed more money than our our government owes. Trillions and trillions of dollars. And you've you've made promises at different times. Maybe partially because you just said something very quick. Yeah, yeah, I'll, you know, parents, we do this, don't you? Like, kids ask for something. Yeah, 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 I'll do that. I'll do that. We'll do it later. Okay, we'll do it later. And then later comes, like, Dad, what about now? What about now? Uh, Just a little bit later. 
And, and it do, I don't think it's very fair to say that if you do it later, like days, weeks, months, years later, that can, counts as you fulfilling your promises. That's, that's really not, not what's happening there. Uh, we've all done that. If you're married, uh, you stood uh, before a group of people and uh, the minister asked you, do you promise to love her? Do you promise to love him? And you said, I do. Uh, you, you made these promises, and yet it doesn't take a lot of time to realize that you probably didn't perfectly fulfill your promises uh, on that day. Uh, whether a week goes by, a month goes by, years go by. Uh, our politicians, they live on promises. They are they, they, in fact, can't even fulfill themselves because our politicians don't necessarily have the power to do that. They can put things forward for people to vote on and, and other people, senators and things like that, to vote on, but people make promises all the time um, that, that they can't fulfill. Uh, or they make promises and they don't fulfill them. Uh, our passage today is a promise that the Lord makes, and he's going to make good on it. In fact, the entire Bible is the story of God making good on this promise, uh, and God making good on some of the promises that he made earlier. One that we looked at in Genesis chapter 3.15, he promised that uh, uh, one of the seed of the woman would crush uh, Satan, crush his head. He's making good on that promise, or the promise to Noah. Uh, it's going to rain later this afternoon. You go out, see a rainbow. Um, remember the promise that God made that he would never flood or destroy the earth with a flood ever again. God is making good on that promise. But this promise is uh, a promise that's made because man couldn't, uh, had sinned against God and couldn't enjoy that blessing that God had promised to them and a promise that God was going to make good in all the days uh, of the future. Uh, it's a promise that sees its fruition uh, coming in stages, stages throughout Abraham's life and Isaac's life, uh, stages of Jacob's life and later Joseph and even Judah's life. And that's what we're going to look at in the next four weeks how this promise, how this covenant uh, is the thread that really runs through the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph uh, in the coming days, those portraits of those, those four men. But I want us to look at this promise uh, this morning, and uh, Graham's good enough that he doesn't always have uh, notes or uh, words to the lyrics, but I think you have it here. I want to just read to you. I think it'll help us. Reread what you just sung um, in, in the end of the verse 3 that we uh, just sung in Speak, O Lord. It says, And by grace we'll stand on your promises. And by faith we'll walk as you walk with us. So speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. We'll stand on your promises and by faith we'll walk as you walk with us. Those are helpful uh, truths, promises that we're making to the Lord based on what he has said in this passage. Uh, we've titled this series, uh, through Genesis 1 through uh, 11, really, through this passage, creation, curse, and covenant. And there's already been a few covenants, a few promises that the Lord has made, but it's, it's really this covenant, this promise that really is the trajectory that the Lord is aiming to fulfill. And we added a word, a word that's used throughout Genesis 80 times. You remember the word? It's the word blessing, uh, that Genesis really is the story of God blessing his people through creation in the midst of a curse uh, and through a covenant. The word blessing is going to pop up several more times here. The unfortunate thing that we've seen throughout the story of Genesis up to this point is 
that though Genesis is really a story about God blessing his people, many of these same people are found rejecting God's blessing and trying to reach out and grab this blessing on their own. They're trying to enjoy blessing by going their own way. Enjoy blessing by doing it apart from the Lord. They're rejecting God's way of being able to enjoy the the blessing that he has for them. And they want to go their own way, thinking that they're wiser, thinking that the Lord has kept something from them. I want you to just know that that is not the case uh, in this passage. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to note this morning in chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, this, God's calling and covenant. God's calling and covenant. Again, in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, And your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you hear the language of blessing there? Do you hear the language of promise there? This is is neat because... uh, if you remember where we were at, where we left off last week at the end of chapter 11, it was a, a dark place. Uh, we described it as um, the stage uh, being set and all of the lights turning off one by one. God's people were dying sooner and sooner. Their lives were shorter and shorter. Some were dying, sons were dying before their fathers were dying. Some were even unable to have children in that day and age. Uh, things were not looking well. And not only that, but they were far from home uh, and, and felt even further from God in that moment. There was darkness described in that passage. And yet the very next thing we have is this phrase, Now the Lord said... And and this is just like what what we have at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. Darkness was hovering over the face of the earth. And the Lord said, let there be light. And God shone light into the darkness. Uh, It's key here that the Lord is speaking here. The Lord is the one initiating uh, life. In the midst of death in chapter 11, Sooner and sooner and sooner than expected. The Lord is the one that's initiating this blessing. The Lord is the one that is initiating life. The Lord is the one that's calling. The Lord is the one that's calling Abram. uh, Abram, And he tells him to go. Go from your country and your kindred. And from your father's house to a land that I will show you. He calls him to go, to leave. This is the one command that God gives to Abram. The rest is, is all of what he will do. This one thing, this going, this going by faith. And he tells him to go. Go from his country, go from his kindred, go from his family's house to a land that he would show him. Three go froms and one go to, yet the go to is not really a two because he doesn't know where he's going. God's called him to to go, to leave everything that he knows, to leave uh, the idol worship in Ur. He calls him to uh, go away from the joy of family. He calls him to uh, away from the comfort of home. But to what? What is he calling him to? He doesn't know. He he knows that there will be a blessing. But he doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know what the blessing is going to look like. He doesn't know what the Lord has promised in this. John Calvin was quoted by one of the commentators I read this week. And John Calvin says about this moment in Abram's life that it was like the Lord saying, I command you to go forth with closed eyes. And I forbid you to inquire where I am about to lead you. Until, having renounced 
your country, you shall have given yourself wholly to me. So imagine, imagine someone coming to you and say, okay, put on this blindfold and trust me. Don't ask where we're going. Don't ask what we're doing until we get there. Be hard, would it not? I mean, so often when we want to take a step of faith and we want to follow the Lord, we want to really know where we're going. We want to be able to see, okay, God, if I do this, if I give that amount of money, what is it going to do? What's it going to produce? What's it going to do? If I step out and serve and sacrifice this person in this way, what am I going to get from it? What is it going to look like? Is it going to take this amount of time, this amount of time? Um, If I leave my job uh, by faith, what is it going to look like on on the other end? If you call me to go to make the gospel known to this co-worker, what is it going to look like? Are they going to still like me, not like me, not talk to me, this, that, or the other? We want to know all of those things. But Abram wasn't promised any of those things, and oftentimes we aren't either. It was a, a calling, a calling to faith, a calling to trust in the Lord who was greater than, than Abram was, trusting that the Lord could be able to handle the situation more than Abram ever could. And we see that in, in the fact that, look at the rest of that passage as the Lord is speaking. Notice all the I wills. You see, hear, see this repetition, repetition over and over in this passage, and it, it's on purpose. The Lord himself is the one that is the, the promiser, the, the doer in this speaking. He calls him to go to a land that I will show you. Verse 2, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you see how one-sided this covenant is? This is a unilateral, unconditional promise and covenant of the Lord. The I wills are not based on the going of Abraham. Uh, We need to make sure that we understand that. There's no if. There's no if. It's go. It's a command. It's not, if you do this, then I will do this, and I will do this, and I will do this, and I will do this for you. It's just simply God saying, I will do these things, therefore go. And and if you read the rest of the Bible, we know that it doesn't go well for those who don't go when the Lord says go. Jonah's a great example of that. And so there's no if I'll, uh, it's not a conditional covenant. No, if you do this, then I will do this. It's, it's an unconditional covenant. It's a unilateral covenant. It's a, the Lord promising that he'll make him into a great nation, even though he didn't have any children at this point. The Lord promising him that he would make his name great. The Lord promising, I will make your name great. Do you remember... What happened in chapter 11? There were a group of people found a, a plane in Shinar and thought, let's build some homes. Let's build a city. Let's build a tower and make a name for ourselves. Striving in their own efforts to make a name for themselves. And the Lord says, here, you don't need to make a name for yourself. I'll make a name for yourself. I'll put my name behind your name, and that's all that really matters. We need to trust these promises of the Lord that his name is better than any name we could ever make for ourselves. And the Lord promises that. He promises him a blessing, and that the blessing that he receives would be a blessing to all of the families of the earth. It's like a father, as when my kids were much smaller, um, we love to, they love to, and I, I, I enjoyed it as well. You know, like putting up, up somewhere really high, 
like the refrigerator uh, or the mantle over the fireplace, and then saying, I will catch you. Jump, I will catch you. This is that type of promise. And the Lord saying, jump, I got gotcha. you. And Abraham trusted him by faith. And this isn't just a promise that the Lord made to Abraham. This promise was to Abraham and is fulfilled later in Christ. But the Lord calls us in these very similar ways to go, to speak, to jump. And he promises, I got you in this. He promises to catch you, to walk with you. Derek Kidner writes in his commentary about Abram, says that Abram must exchange the known for the unknown and eventually find his reward in what he could not live to see, a great nation, in what was intangible, a name, and in what he would impart, a blessing. Though God makes good on his promises, Abram just gets a taste of them. He doesn't get the, the full fruition of God making good on his promises. He just gets a taste of them. It's his sons and grandsons and great-grandsons and great-grandsons and on and on and on and on who are able to enjoy this blessing. Ultimately, eventually, in Christ and all of those who, who come by faith. But he walks in faith. This is a promise that's worthy of our trust. Worthy of our trust. In Acts chapter 3, this moment is recorded. And it says, when, when, uh, in Acts chapter 3, verse 25, it says, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, it says, having raised up his servant, that is, uh, raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Uh, in Acts, it says that this promise is ultimately fulfilled in the Lord himself sending his very own son Jesus First to the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, and then to the Gentiles to call all of them to repentance and faith, to offer salvation to anyone who would believe in that day. This promise is ultimately fulfilled in Christ. The blessing that is promised to Abraham is only possible in, in Jesus Christ. God would call and command his children throughout the Old Testament to go. Moses, Joshua, and others. He would say to them, just like he said to Abram, go, follow me, walk by faith, trust my promises, and I will do these things for you. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 6, he asks, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. You have an entire section of the Old Testament, the prophets, uh, who are individuals, one who I mentioned earlier, Jonah, being famous for not going, but the others as willing servants to go, to go to the nation of Israel, to go to the nation of Judah, to go to the nation of uh, Edom, to go to the Ninevites, to go and to speak the word and, and to tell what the Lord himself would do. And then you fast forward to Jesus' time. This is the same calling that Jesus had when, with, when he was with his disciples. When he showed up to their country and their kindred and their home and their boats and their tax booths. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Leave your nets behind. Leave your boat behind. Leave your tax booth behind. Leave your father and mother and brother and sisters behind and come and follow me, Jesus says. He would go on in 
Matthew 16, 24, and, and when he said to his disciples, if any of you would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And what shall a man give in return for his soul? This calling, based on the promises of God that Abraham experienced, is the same type of calling, based on the same promises that God's people have heard from generation to generation to accomplish, accomplish God's will in this world. Namely, their own salvation, but also the salvation of all nations. And this is why we too have a call, a command, a commission, just like the one Abram, have in, Abram has in the New, New Testament. As followers of Christ, we have a call on our own lives. Uh, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus's, some of Jesus' last words to his disciples, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Our command is not based, though, on something that God will do in the future, like Abram's was. Our command to go is based on something he's already done. Jesus just previously had said all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. And he proved that when not only he left heaven and came to earth to live a perfect and sinless life, but when he died on the cross and was buried in the tomb for three days, taking the punishment for our sin, being our substitute, taking our place, he rose from the dead on the third day, proving that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And based on that, that truth, he says, Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. But he also does promise something. Again, not something in the future, but something in the present. He says, and I will be with you. Uh, I, I'm sorry, he doesn't say I will. He says, and I am with you to the very ends of the age. So Abram is called to go based on something that God will do. If you're a Christian here this morning, you have a command by God himself to go based on what he's already done in fulfilling the promise that he made to Abraham and based on what he is doing in the present, being with you. And so we need to take these commands seriously, as serious as Abram did, because if that's Abraham's calling and covenant in verses 1 through 3, what we see next and following is Abram's following and faith in verses 4 and 5. Look there. Abram, so Abram went. In the midst of that dark stage that we saw at the end of chapter 11, the Lord speaks and the light comes back on. And the Lord speaks and tells him to go and promises uh, those promises that we just looked at. And Abram's response, maybe he questioned it. Maybe he considered it. Maybe it took him a minute. Maybe it took him an hour. Maybe it took him a day. But we don't read that. All we read in Moses' account of, of this story is that God spoke and he spoke in such a way that immediately Abram went. Abram had to go. And it took years for him to go and keep going, on and on and on. But I love the immediacy of the text right there. So Abram went. In a direct relation to what the Lord had said, Abram went. He followed the Lord. And he followed him by faith. Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. 
And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I think, including in all of us, that you're never too old to follow the Lord in faith. You're never too old to give up your life that you knew to be a blessing to the nations. And so he goes. He leaves. He walks by faith in this. And Abram It says in verse 5, took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Uh, We'll get to the rest in the next point there. But I want you to note here that as Abram leaves, he takes his wife, which sounds reasonable. Uh, those uh, Those of you who are married probably are realizing that uh, you probably couldn't make the journey if you didn't take her. I know that would be my case in my situation. He takes his brother's son, Lot, who was orphaned at this stage and brings him with him. He takes their possessions. And then there's this phrase that says, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And when you read that, you may think, well, maybe that's, you know, like slaves and servants, um, not slaves, I would say, like as against their will, but indentured servants, people who are coming along with them. That's how you might read that, that phrase. But um, there was a, a note uh, that I read this week describing that, that more than people acquired as servants, this was more likely people souls whom had come to believe the same thing that Abram had believed. In the faith of Abram, in the conversations that he's having, as people are asking him, why are you leaving? Where are you going? And he begins telling them, the Lord has called me to go. I must go. Where are you going? I don't know, but I'm going to go. And I'm followed by faith. He's promised uh, to bless me and that in me I'd be a blessing to many nations. Want to go? Want to go with me? He acquires other people. Other people say, I want to go. I want in on that promise. I want in on that unilateral, unconditional covenant of God. I want to enjoy that type of blessing. Uh, And they too leave behind their false idols. They leave behind their families. They leave behind their countries and they go with him. They follow with him. And so this is the picture that that we have here of Abram immediately following the Lord by faith, walking by faith. Stephen in the New Testament records this moment in Abram's life as well. And if you're reading this passage in Genesis, again, you may think if you're reading it chronologically because of chapter 11 in the last verse that it says that Terah died in Haran and then in chapter 12 verse 1 now the Lord said to Abram that Abram is in Haran when he leaves but the Bible makes it clear that he actually called Abram when he was originally in Ur when he was originally in his homeland not in Haran uh, a place that he had just journeyed He calls him even from Haran to go further. And this is how Stephen puts it in Acts chapter 7, verse 2. And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans, and he lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land which you are now living. Again, in the New Testament, Stephen is, uh, is declaring that Abram was quick to walk by faith, quick to follow the Lord quick to leave his hometown to go wherever the Lord would show him by faith. 
the writer of Hebrews mentions this moment in Abram's life. In Hebrews 11, in verse 8, it says that Abram by faith obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, I think, had read Genesis. I, I joked earlier that there were other people who hadn't read Genesis. The writer of Hebrews had read Genesis, saying that Abram wasn't like those people of Babel who was looking to make a name for themselves, a city for themselves, a tower for themselves, but says that he was willing to follow the Lord, to walk by faith, because he was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. He wasn't looking forward simply to an earthly kingdom, but to an eternal, heavenly kingdom that would be established by the Lord himself. Uh, probably in our Bible, uh, the place where this passage is most closely connected and explained is in Galatians chapter 3. And if you didn't flip to those other ones, that's okay, but I want to encourage you to go ahead and flip to Galatians for a moment. And at least write Galatians chapter 3 down uh, for you to go and read in its entirety later uh, this afternoon or later this week in applying this. But when we think about the promise that was made to Abram, it's one that uh, would not only bring salvation for Abraham, but it would bring sanctification for Abraham as well. And that's what the rest of his story is about. That when he walks by faith, he becomes uh, more and more like the Lord himself. More and more trusting. More and more trusting of the Lord. Less and less trusting of himself. He's not only saved by God, but he's sanctified. He's, he, he's made holy. He's uh, made to look more and more like God. More and more obedient. And that's true in all, everyone's life who's called by the Lord. It's first a call to repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe in the Lord himself, that he alone can save you. But it's also a, a call to walk by faith, a call to become more and more like him, more and more Christ-like, uh, more and more sanctified in that. And that's what Paul is getting at when he was writing in Galatians chapter 3 when he's speaking uh, of these events. Saying that not only are we saved uh, by believing in these promises and walking by faith, but we're made more and more like the Lord himself in that. In Galatians chapter 3, I want to start reading in verse 5. And you can listen in or read along if you've turned there. It says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul goes on and says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Now that's important because God has promised that God would make Abram a great nation. He would go on later to say, in the next chapter, to say that his descendants, his children, would be as many as the sands of the sea. Or later he would say that his descendants would be as many as the stars of the sky. Um, but Abram was childless in this moment. 
He would go on to have a child, Isaac, who would go on to have a child, a son himself named Jacob, who would go on to have 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And yes, there are many thousands, millions of Jews who find their heritage in Abraham. But Paul is saying that the sons of Abraham are not just those who are born from Abraham's physical lineage and descent. That those who are sons of Abraham who enjoy the blessing that God just promised are those who are of faith. Let me read it again. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. That's our passage right there. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Those who have believed in the Lord, those who have believed in His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who left heaven and lived and died for the sins of all who would repent and believe. Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, who not only died, but He rose from the dead to accomplish their salvation. Those are the ones who are enjoying the blessing of Abraham. Those are the ones who are enjoying salvation. Those are the ones who are not only enjoying salvation, but, but are being made more and more like Christ. He goes on in that same passage. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ, listen, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. The Lord called Abraham and made a covenant to him in verses 1 through 3. But in, in 4 and 5, we see Abram's following and faith. He believed these things. And the question we have to uh, put to each of ourselves this morning is, have I? Have I believed these things? Am I walking by faith in these things? This is the question that each of us has to consider, and I can't answer it, answer it for you. You can't answer it for the person sitting next to you, but you have to be able to consider that question. Have I believed these things? And not only the things in Genesis chapter 12, but the things throughout the rest of the Old Testament as God is making good on these promises and the things of the New Testament that we just read that those who have believed are the sons of Abraham. That those who walk by faith are children of God. Are enjoying the blessing that God promised Abraham right there. Even if you're not a descendant of Abraham, and I don't think any uh, of us probably here this morning are, that you can enjoy the blessing that God made to Abraham by believing in God's one and only Son who died for you on the cross. You have to consider whether on our church software, even if it says member next to your name, 
and you've gone through, you've been at church here for years, and you've gone through the membership class, and everyone here thinks you're a Christian, yet you know in the depths of your heart you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never truly repented. You've put on a good front. You've put on a good face. Or maybe you're visiting with us, with friends or family, or you've been attending with us for quite some time to consider, have I put my faith in Jesus to save me alone? If my story were recorded and written down like Abram's was, would people read of the calling of God on my life and then read, so he went. So she believed. So he followed after the Lord. Or would they read, after the Lord made such great promises and fulfilled those good promises, and so he went his own way. And so he did what she wanted. She did what she wanted instead of what the Lord would have. Abraham followed, and he took with him uh, his wife, his nephew, all his possessions, and those who had wanted to follow Abraham as well. And they went. They set out, and they went to the the land of Canaan. My, My other question for you is if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, is to consider your own story, would what was said of Abraham be said of you as well? Is there a group of people because of your sharing of your own testimony, you sharing of the good news and the promises of the Lord that you have people following you as you are following Christ? Do you have others whom you've invited to, to hear the promises of God, to believe the promises of God. People that you have said, follow me as I follow Christ. Believe this. Live this. Do these things. Christian, if, if we've believed in these things, then, then we've believed that we have the good news of, of salvation by grace through faith, not because of anything that you've done, that we have Not only eternal life promised to us in the future, but an abundant life here on this earth. Are you keeping that to yourself? Are you willingly opening your mouth, obeying the command of Jesus to go therefore and make disciples of all nations? If if we really believe this, we don't just believe it once and for all in our hearts. We believe it and we live by it each and every day, sharing it with others, inviting others to follow the Lord himself, to believe themselves, to repent of their sins themselves. And so consider, have you believed these things like Abraham? Are you following the Lord by faith? Are you a son of Abraham? Are you a child of God? And then secondly, Are there others who have believed these things because you've shared your hope in the good news of Jesus Christ with them? And if not, I urge you, for the sake of this promise being fulfilled in your own life, if you've received the blessing that was promised to Abraham by salvation by grace through faith, then share it with someone else. That's what that passage says that in in verse 3, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When we see other families going with Abram when he leaves Haran and goes into the land of Canaan, that's the beginning of that promise beginning to be fulfilled. Are there others? Other families Other individuals who are blessed because you have been saved and you're sharing the hope of salvation with them as well. If not, I hope so. I hope you not only put your faith in 
the Lord, but you would share your faith with others. But then lastly, we see in, in the end of verse 5 and through verse 9, the Lord's presence and Abram's worship. Once they set out to go to the land of Canaan at the end of verse 5, it says, when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now, what you need to know about that place and that description there is uh, that the Canaanites, again, are the sons of Canaan who were cursed by the Lord earlier and eventually become the enemies of Israel, full of pagan and idol worship. And, and yet this is the place that the Lord sends Abram into the midst of an unbelieving people, in the midst of a group of people who uh, worship false gods and false idols. That city Shechem and that oak uh, of Moreh will come up later in the, the narrative of, of Genesis and, and the history of Israel as places of uh, decision-making and places where the Lord's name was, uh, was worshipped there. And then in verse 7, it says, In the midst of that type of land where there was idol worship, enemy, hostile people, the Lord appeared to Abram. The Lord made his presence known to Abram in a very real and tangible way. And we know that the Bible says that no one has ever seen God but God appeared in some form or fashion. The glory of the Lord, as the New Testament said, showed up and uh, made itself visible to Abram in this place. Much like the glory of the Lord uh, showed itself to Israel in a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud during the day leading them. The Lord reveals himself, appears to him. And the glory of the Lord there in that place. And, and he speaks again and says, To your offspring I will give this land. The Lord was planting the flag of his kingdom in that enemy territory. Saying, this is the land that I'm going to give you. But fast forward, Abram never gets to enjoy that land. He never gets to See, the, see that promise come to fruition. He goes away from that place, comes back to that place, but he never sees a nation established and a land given to him in that place. It's hundreds and hundreds of years later that that actually happens when Israel crosses the Jordan and begins to destroy the cities of Jericho and Ai and all of the cities in the land of Canaan. But Abraham doesn't get to join, uh, enjoy that. He just hears the Lord say, to your offspring, I will give this land. And what is his response? Just like in verse 4, so Abram went. We read uh, there in verse 7, so he built. So Abram went, so Abram built. And what did he build? He built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Much like Noah, when Noah got off the ark and uh, the Lord had directed him to do so and Noah had been saved, Noah had been sanctified, Noah had obeyed, uh, Noah had made it through that uh, 40 days and 40 nights of rain and a year of flooding on the ark. And he finally comes out of the ark. And because the Lord was good on his promise, because the Lord was the Lord, he built an altar there and he worshiped. And this is what Abram does. He builds an altar to the Lord there and he worships the Lord. 
He goes on in verse 8, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar, another altar to the Lord. And there he called upon the name of the Lord. Notice, uh, he built an altar in Shechem. And then he kept on traveling. He built a tent uh, in between Bethel and Ai. And there he built another altar there. He built altars that were permanent established structures of worship. But he knew he wasn't going to get to stay, and so he pitched his tent. He knew worship was going to be a permanent aspect of his life. He would always worship. He would always honor the Lord. But he held this life loosely, and he pitched a tent for himself to live in. He knew that he was in the business of following the Lord, to go wherever the Lord might lead him. And so he held loosely the things of this earth, but he held with a tight grip the things of worship. Abram knew he could worship anywhere he went, and wherever he could go, he could build an altar. And he would establish an altar, and he would leave it there as a testimony of his worship, as a witness to his worshiping of the one true and living Lord God, Yahweh himself, in the midst of a pagan idol-worshiping land, but Abram would be willing to follow wherever the Lord would lead him. And wherever he would build this altar, he would call upon the name of the Lord. And we see that phrase come back up again in chapter 13, where again he would call upon the name of the Lord. These are right and healthy uh, the only reasonable responses that we ought to have towards uh, a God who calls us to himself to be saved, to repent and believe. These are the only right responses that one would have to a God who uh, has promised to bless us with salvation and with his presence with us. The Lord made his presence known in that place to Abram, and Abram worshipped. And the Lord has made his presence known to us as well, and our response ought to be like Abram's, worship. In fact, Paul, in Romans chapter 12, he uses this, this language of altar building and sacrifice as what our response ought to be based on 11 chapters of promises of God. In Romans, the first 11 chapters are about the truths and the promises of God, of who He is and what He's done for you and who you are or aren't uh, and what you need. You're not good. You need salvation. God is good, and He has accomplished salvation. And right then in chapter 12, He says, I appeal to you, therefore. What is the therefore, therefore? Because of chapters 1 through 11, Paul says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Essentially, build an altar to the Lord and lay your life down upon it. Why? Because God is God. Because God has made a way for you to be saved. Because God has sent His one and only Son to take your place. To be your substitute. To accomplish salvation for you and for all who would believe. Build an altar to the Lord. The Lord has made His presence known most clearly in Jesus Christ. 
When I mentioned that the Lord in his glory appeared to Abram in some form or fashion back then, the Bible says that the Lord appears to us most clearly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. No, you can't see God, but the Lord has made his presence known to you when he sent his one and only son to the earth. We read about it as it's written about in the Gospels, as it's explained in more detail in in the letters of the New Testament. It is historically accurate. It's trustworthy. The Lord has appeared in the person and work of Jesus Christ in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And our only, the only reasonable response, Paul says, therefore, is by the mercies of God, he appeals to us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. What does your life look like lately? in response to the promises of God that, uh, that you know to be true, Christian. If someone is writing about your life, are they writing about you maybe not literally building stone altars in your backyard? That would be weird and not a right response to the Lord because we worship in spirit and in truth now. Uh, there's no need to build an actual altar and make an actual sacrifice. But would they describe your life as one that is being laid down for the honor and glory of the Lord? Would they describe your life as one that is being laid down for one another? Would they describe your life as one who willingly and freely gives so that others might be welcomed into the family of God, to be able to enjoy the blessing of God, to be saved by God. If this is what has been done for us, if these promises of Abraham have really been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and now we're enjoying the full blessings of that in salvation from sin, in sanctification by His Spirit, then we, even more than Abraham, ought to be going. Ought to be laying down our lives in worship for Him. And so, let this be an appeal to your hearts from the Lord Himself. Let His words urge you like Paul was urging his readers then and urges us now by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to lay down our lives as Christians for the sake of his honor and his glory and his name. And if you've yet to believe in Jesus, if you've yet to put your faith and trust in this God and his one and only son who died for you and rose for you, Would you today become a son of Abraham? One who enjoys the blessing of this promise hundreds and thousands of years later simply by faith. Simply by faith. Repenting and acknowledging that you've sinned against the Lord and trusting that Jesus is the only one who is able to reconcile you back to God, to redeem you from your sins, to ransom you from hell. Believe today. Put your faith and trust in him and you will be following in the footsteps of Abraham and the footsteps of all of those who have by faith believed. Let's pray. Father, I ask, as I have asked this week and asked this morning, God, that you would grant salvation to some this morning. 
that you would grant saving faith and that some would rightly respond to you this morning hearing your promises seeing what you have done in the in the past what you will do in the present to be with us and what you're going to do in the future to prepare a place for us and to return and to take us to be with you. And God, I pray that some would rightly respond in faith this morning and that you would enable them to do so. That you would unblind eyes, that you would open deaf ears, that you would make hard hearts softened, dead hearts come to life as only you can. God, I pray that you would convict, encourage, challenge your church here that is gathered this morning. And that those of us who have put our faith and trust in you would leave different than we came. We wouldn't go our own way or go back to the same way of life but in response to who you are and what you have done for us we would follow you by faith in response to your call in response to your covenant we would follow you by faith in response to your presence among us in every moment of our lives, especially as we go to make disciples, that we would worship you in every aspect of our lives, especially in going to make disciples. So God, I pray as we stand together once more to sing your praise, to make a a promise ourselves to walk by faith, that you would help us to make good on our promise, on our commitment to you, knowing that we depend upon you to make good on it. So help us, I pray. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.